Here it is, my friends, podcast number 311, five short stories from Kathmandu. Now, I have since returned from Kathmandu, but I have a number of podcasts coming up, I think six or seven more that were all recorded in Kathmandu. Uh, or in traveling to Kathmandu, or maybe even the return flight. But yeah, I recorded a bunch in Kathmandu. I have some great podcasts coming up. Uh, But this is one I couldn't record or I didn't record when I was there. Uh, Sometimes you think you'll always have enough time, right? I guess, well, that's the issue with humans, right? That's our big problem. We always think there's going to be enough time. Wow. Wow. So, uh, okay, I'm just going to get right to it. I got five short stories and they, you know, they kind of revolve around one hand. So this is pretty cool. It's not just cool Kathmandu stories because uh, I still have Kathmandu dust on my brain. Um, okay, so I landed in Kathmandu after, you know, a, a huge amount of time, right? I had... I've said it. I'm going to say it again. Why not? Might as well say it one more time. I flew from Boise to Seattle, hour and a half, five hour layover Seattle airport. Then I had a 14 and a half hour flight to Doha, Qatar, Hamand International Airport in the Middle East, eight hour layover. And then I had a six hour flight. So uh, it was like 25 hours of fly time, 36 hours of travel time. And then I lost 12 hours, so I left Tuesday, I left Wednesday morning, March 17th, Boise time, and I arrived in Kathmandu local time Friday at 9 a.m., so 48 hours after I left. And uh, I couldn't find my driver, so typically I guess they give about an hour of time. Uh, and this is my third time at the same hotel, the Bodhi Guest House. So I was looking for either uh, Navras, Ramu, or Rabin. I was just kind of walking around. I was going back and forth. And then I'm getting hit up a lot by taxi drivers. Like, oh, I'll give you a ride. Your friend's not coming. I'll take you. I'll take you. You know, you got to be good at saying no and keeping people at an arm's distance. But I cycled back towards the airport and I kind of saw this open area. I kind of saw this open area where I thought I could hang out. Now, as soon as I pulled up and stopped, I had just my small backpack and my small suitcase. Uh, I saw a police officer, a Nepalese cop, blow his whistle and shoo some other people away that were in the same area as I. And then the cop turned around. He started coming towards me. He started blowing his ho- he started blowing his whistle. And then I just I kind of turned to face him and he saw that I didn't have two hands. OK, and this happens a lot in Nepal. People, especially older people, notice I don't have two hands. I say older, but they're probably younger than I am. And they just go, oh, oh. like it's some kind of problem. And I guess I get it. I get it. And the cop was like, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. You can just stay here, (laughs) which was great because I got tired of walking around and I figured I might as well just stay in one spot. And then within three minutes, my driver showed up. I heard Alejandro and then I was off. They 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 parked in a different spot and uh, they took a little longer than they normally do, but everything worked out. So I thought that was initially funny uh, and it's something that I might talk a bit more about. Uh, 
in, with within my experience in Nepal and Kathmandu, a lot of interesting cultural uh, perceptions about me and my lack of hand uh, in Kathmandu. So, yeah, that was the cop at the airport story. Now, this is a great story. Uh, kicking it at the bathrooms at uh, Swambunath uh, Temple, the monkey temple, Swambunath Stupa. It's my favorite place in Kathmandu. I spend an incredible amount of time there, even though the monkeys scare me a bit. But they have a really high-end bathroom. Now, I got a podcast coming up that's called Squat and Poop, just about dealing with you know, you got to squat to poop. Bathrooms can be pretty gritty. They don't have toilet paper. Uh, you don't want to put your bag on the ground, on the floor, in a public restroom in Nepal. Basically not a good idea. But uh, this bathroom at Swambunath Stupa is high end. And, you know, it costs 15 rupees, which is about, I don't know, maybe... Uh, eight cents, something like that to use. You know, you got to pay to use the bathroom, but it's really clean and it's really uh, high tech. Uh, it's uh, 11.5 cents uh, to use the bathroom. I pay 15 rupees uh, every time I go. And I try to go a lot because I spend a lot of time at Swambunath uh, doing my meditation and circumambulating, uh, doing mantras, uh, and you know what? They have running water. They have an electric blow dryer for hands. They have soap. You know, the, the stalls are clean. They have a curator there. They have, a, they have people there that clean the place, and they serve you tea when you're done, and you can go outside and hang out. Like, it's a moment. <laughs> it's a moment at the monkey temple uh, taking a pee and a poo. So, uh, you know, I, I took care of my business and then I went and sat down and this guy started talking to me about necklaces uh, and amethyst uh, for whatever reason. I'm not 100% sure what all that was about. And uh, he was noticing that I didn't have two hands and he was asking me some questions about that. His English was OK. His English was OK. And uh I was like, well, I've been like this from the beginning, you know, like I was born this way. And he's like, oh, that's. Well, I could tell he was a little put off, like maybe he did manual labor. I'm not quite sure. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, it's OK, man. I, You know, I, I, I like it. I, I like who I am. And he looked at me and he's like, is it really OK? And I looked at him and I said, it must be OK. And it took him a second. Like, I swear, it took him like a second and a half. And then he realized what I was saying, like, well, it must be OK, because if I don't make it OK, it's just generally going to suck. And him and I, we had a moment of just pure laughter because I was like, well, it must be okay, right? <laughs> you know, you got to make it okay. That's life, man. That's This is the life that I have, and I got to make it okay. And he got it. He got it. So, yeah, we had a good time. We drank our tea, and I was like, hey, bro, I got to go. I got to keep doing my thing, right? And uh, then I was off to do more, you know, meditation and mantra practice and hang out with monkeys. And uh, I love uh, the monkey temple, uh, Swambunath. I, I, I have such a strong connection there. It is astounding. I'm actually going to do a whole podcast just about spending a day at, at Swambunath. Uh, so don't miss that. Don't miss that. Okay. So that was the bathroom chat, uh, uh, short story number two, bathroom chat at Swambunath. 
Um, uh, short story number three, this is in a small town outside of Kathmandu. It's about an hour and a half drive. There is a very famous cave there that a very prominent Buddhist practitioner spent time uh, meditating and uh, acquiring deep realization. It is said that this is the most important cave outside of Tibet for Pamasambhava. Uh, and, you know, if you're not Buddhist, that doesn't mean that much. But, you know, I'm on a pilgrimage. I'm doing a lot of caves. So this cave is called, uh, it's in the city of Parping. Usually in Nepal, people refer to it as Parping. Uh, it's also known as a Sura cave. So they have an upper cave and a lower cave. So I spent time at the upper cave. And then I went to the lower cave. And the lower cave is definitely... Uh, much more touristic. Like they're they're making sure they get you for some money. They want you to do lamp offerings and they want you to, you know, just pay for stuff and blow in these conch shells. And it's, you know, it's very touristic. I mean, the upper cave is, but not as bad. Uh, and sometimes I even experienced this at the Shaolin Temple. You got to work hard to move through all the tourism to get to the deep, deep stuff. And, uh, this cave means a lot, and it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to go. It is such a blessing. Uh, and the lower cave is really cool. It's just, you know, you got you to gotta be ready. You got to know what to deal with, you know. And then uh, this guy approached me and started talking to me about not having two hands. Uh, and I, at first, I was just trying to make an assessment of the guy, and I noticed that he was blind in one eye, like one eye was kind of knocked out. I mean, it was there, but it was, pupil was clouded over, you know, and I could tell that he could not see out of it. And then he was just talking to me about having one hand. He's like, oh, hey, man, what happened to your hand? He's like, you lose it in an accident or, and I was like, no, man, it's, it's natural. I, I, I've been like this from the beginning. And he paused for a moment. And then this other guy who I noticed, these guys were like working the crowd up at, uh, the top of the lower temple, right? The lower cave. And this guy walked up to me and he's like, oh yeah, this guy lost his hand in, uh, in the military. He, you know, he took some shrapnel, like a mine blew up on him and he's like a war hero. And, and, uh, I was like, well, what do you got, man? Let me see. <laughs> you know, and he pulled out his arm. He kept it in his pocket and I get it, right? Like he doesn't want people to notice it. You know, the perception in Nepal about not having body parts is very different. And there are a number of people who are only missing a hand in Nepal who I give money to because they're homeless, uh, living on the street, beggars. You know, it's very common. And I think that's why people look at me kind of different. Uh, and I get the the whole like, oh, thing, uh, because they just kind of assume I can't earn money. But this guy was working. He was kind of hiding his hand. Uh, it looks like it was amputated. Um, and okay, that's great. That's great. Whatever. Uh, but I was like, hey, man, let that out. Let that whole thing shine, you know. And he was like, oh, yeah, I was in the military and, you know, I, I stepped on a mine and it blew up and I lost my eye. And, you know, he took some shrapnel like his face. Look, his face looked a little tore up and, you know, his hand was gone. I don't know. I mean, maybe he fell on it. I can't quite figure it out. But you know, the other guy's like, oh, yeah, this guy's a war hero. He's a war hero. And and uh, I was like, well, I've always been like this. It's all I know. And he was like, well, thanks for coming. And, you know, he put his hand in. He put his no-handed arm in his pocket, and he was gone. 
So yeah, that's the military one-handed guy at Parping, Asura Cave. Really, a, just a very interesting, uh, very interesting experience. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just really, that one, I, I have to think about it again. So, um, okay, and I'm going to move on to uh, short story number four. This actually happened about uh, an hour before the story I just told, the military guy, uh, because most caves are kind of up a mountain, and there's typically a monastery there. There's always a lot of steps or climbing. We pull into, we parked at the bottom of Asura Cave, and there is, uh, there's a small temple there um, for Vajra Yogini. Now, again, if you're not Buddhist, if you're not Vajrayana Buddhist, and even if you are a Buddhist, that might not mean anything to you. And it's not that important to know who the temple uh, venerates. It's just more important to understand that it's a sacred Buddhist place, and it means a lot to me. So I was very happy to go there, and they were open. They let me in, and I had just a phenomenal time. It's a very small temple. It's got a feminine overtone. Uh, and as I was coming out, I noticed that there was like a, a mentally challenged girl, mentally disabled girl, uh, who I remember from last year, and she's mute. She doesn't speak that well, but, you know, I know she can hear, and I know she can see. And then she was just kind of making noises, and then she was, like, pointing at her arm and kind of, like, like oh, and then pointing at me and showing that, oh, like, it got cut off, it got cut off. And, you know, there's some other uh, caretakers of the Vajra Yogini Temple there, and uh, they're just kind of noticing this girl notice me and she's making like she's kind of making a lot of noise, right? Like she's uncomfortable or she's just aware or whatever. Um, and at first I wasn't going to give her any money, but I remember I gave her money last year. So I put like 100 rupees, which is a fair donation, I, I guess. I, you know, that's like 70 cents. That's not really that big, but it's not that big for me, but it might be for them. Uh, you know, I'm wearing my my. I have a Buddhist mala that I wear on my short arm uh, that doesn't have a hand around my elbow. It's kind of like a bracelet, uh, an elbow lit. And uh, I I can hold things in there a little bit. I can slide like a pencil underneath it or my hairpin or, you know, and I, I just put the money in there and I walk towards this girl and I passed it to her and she got kind of excited. She was like, oh, ah, ah, ah. And the other two caretakers looked over and they just started giggling and she was pointing at her arm and showing that it was cut off. And I just gave her a big smile and let her take the money. She almost didn't know what to do because she like I wasn't really passing her money because I don't have a hand to give to her, you know, but uh, I thought it was kind of sweet. She got a lot out of it. Um, well, everyone did. I don't really know what her perception was, but I think... She was excited that I was doing something with my arm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, then I went up to Asura Cave. That's the very famous cave of Pamasambhava. And then came back down, uh, stopped off again at the Vajra Yogini Temple, then got in the car, and then we drove to the lower cave where I had the experience with the military guys. So uh, maybe I'm telling these stories uh, out of uh, sequence, but hey, that's okay. That's okay. Um, 
Okay, so now I am, uh, so that's uh, short story number four, The Mental Girl. That's all I can say at the Vajra Yogini Temple. Now I'm going to break into podcast number, uh, I'm sorry, short story number five from Kathmandu. So this one, this one's actually pretty cool. I met this uh, Nepalese guy who lives in New Jersey. He happened to be in Nepal visiting his father uh, at a coffee shop. You know, like when I ordered coffee, he's like, hey, where are you from America? And I was like, oh, yeah, I live I, I live in the United States. He's like, oh, so do I. <laughs> he's like, but I was born here in Nepal. I just go over for work. You know, I work there. I, I live and work in, in uh, New Jersey. I was like, oh, the East Coast, you know. And he's like, oh, let me buy you coffee, right? Uh, I had a great experience with this guy, you know, and I saw him the next day too. We chatted. We we had we had a great conversation. Uh, he was a really nice guy. Uh, and then we're just talking about, you know, we're talking about Nepal. We're talking about being Buddhist. We're talking about Budanath. We're just talking about America and parents and getting older and all this kind of stuff. And then he's like, hey, man, he's like, what what happened to your hand? Like, you know, what what's going on? <laughs> And I was like, oh, I was born like this. And then he just started giggling. He's like, oh, it's natural. <laughs> and then I started laughing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it is natural. Yeah, it's it's from birth. You know, I was like, it's I've been like this from the beginning. It's all I know. He's like, oh, it's just, you know, it, it, he just said it in such a like, uh, uh, c'est la vie, like just such a nonchalant way. Just like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, it's natural. It's natural. You know, and it, it caught me off guard. Like, I started laughing. And then, you know, we just enjoyed our conversation and uh, we just enjoyed each other's company. I'm actually going to put his picture on the cover of uh, uh, the featured image for this podcast now that I think about it. So, yeah, that was a really sweet moment um, with that guy. Just his whole attitude about that, like, oh, it's natural, it's natural. And, and uh, it, it's interesting because it caught me off guard, just the way that he said it, like his whole tone and demeanor and like, oh, yeah, it's, it's no big deal. It's natural, you know. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? It is natural. Like I was born like this, you know, from I, I've been like this from the beginning. That was last year's big Tibetan phrase from the beginning. That's what people that's how people understood it more that from the beginning. So. Uh, yeah, those are my five short stories. My, those are my five short one-handed stories from Kathmandu. How about a bonus track? How about a bonus story? Bonus story number six. Um, and this was actually when I was leaving Nepal, and uh, I'm, I'm flying from uh, Kathmandu to Qatar, Right. And they got to put us they, they got to shuttle us. So, you know, we're in the airport. Next thing you know, we're on a bus. And then from that bus, we have to transfer to another bus. And I get in there and I sit down and then the place just packs with people. And I met this guy named Dustin. Uh, he's from uh, South Carolina. We had a really good relationship. We've actually been staying in touch. He's a really cool cat. Buddhist uh, is doing some like uh, base camp stuff. Uh, but. Yeah, so we kind of, you know, like I get in on the plane, we're getting ready to go to the main part of the airport so we can board our flight to Doha, and uh, this woman sits next to me, and then I notice that she's missing her right hand, and then I'm missing my left hand, and then, you know, there's people like right in front of us, they're kind of looking at us because the door is right there, and, and uh, you know, I just notice, I just notice that she doesn't 
have a hand and I can see that it's been cut off. And so, you know, her husband's kind of over there and I'm, I'm looking around and then I look at this woman and she notices the other woman, the older woman sitting next to me doesn't have a hand. And then I looked at the woman next to me and I lifted up my hand and then she lifted up her hand. And the next thing you know, she's talking to me in Nepalese uh, or Indian. I don't even know. But she's talking to me as if like I understand and she's kind of implying that it got cut off. And I was like, well, I, I've been like this from birth. And then I can hear her husband saying something and we're just kind of looking at each other, just kind of talking. And I, you know, what I wanted to do is just reach out and touch her, her amputated arm end, you know, and really deeply, I was like, oh, I should just kiss it. Right. But I didn't want to get too crazy. It would have been nice just to kind of touch her and just honor that part of her and and uh, I was like, well, you know, here we are. This is it. And then the woman standing next to me, she was she spoke English and she's like, oh, you two are so inspiring. Like, I don't know what that means. Right. Like, well, yeah, I mean, people are inspired when I tie my shoe. I'm doing solo international traveling one handed style. And I'm just having a moment with this beautiful older woman who obviously had her right hand cut off in some kind of accident or something but yeah bonus story my friends just kind of cool one-handed stuff that's happening uh i'll get to the not so cool one-handed perception stuff in a future podcast but for now namaste see i told you he's strange and wonderful Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is Alejandro with One Hand Speaks. Find me online at onehandspeaks.com and all your social media outlets.